Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and the Executive Director of Church Partnership Evangelism, an international outreach committed to equipping people in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. We have a new ministry that we want to make available to you, a website. That's www.savingevangelicals.com and a new book by the same title. God's Word challenges those who call themselves Christians to test themselves to see if they're in the faith. The Lord Jesus warned that many before His throne would discover that their assumptions of salvation were wrong and He'll say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. We want you and those you love to have a solid assurance of saving faith. This book and this website at savingevangelicals.com are designed to guide a person into a biblical confidence in salvation, and it's also meant to undermine any false confidence. Again, go to SavingEvangelicals.com to learn more and to order the book by the same name. And now to God's Word. We are to consider the reasons why we should be eager for the return of the Lord Jesus to rescue His own, to pour wrath out on the wicked, and to restore righteousness in the earth. But for now, we want to know why, why we're not always eager for His return. And if you're a child of faith in Jesus Christ, then we want to know how we can correct that attitude. Christ is coming one day, and we should look eagerly to that moment. This has been going on and on. People have said he's coming, he's around the corner, he's coming in a moment, and it hasn't happened. And if you did a study, by the way, of church history, you would find from the first or second century, there began to rise up cults that declared the coming of the Lord. They would declare places where he was coming and times when he was coming and people would gather together in those places anticipating his return. And In Pergia, there was an area where everybody gathered together and there were two cities that were proclaimed to be, this is going to be the new Jerusalem, that God was going to set up as new Jerusalem and all the people gathered there and the anticipation for his return lasted for about a century and eventually that cult died out because, well, he didn't come. And that kept happening over and over and over again and you can see it happening, repeating itself and in the middle of the 1800s, there were two different groups. One of them with Millerism. Was there were two different groups that gathered a large gathering of at least 100,000 individuals who had a set day in which they knew the Lord was going to return, and he didn't return. And what usually happens is then whoever the leader is says, well, I got it off by a year or a day, or what, and they wait for another year. They do another round of anticipation. It doesn't happen again. Just the other day, I was reading the account of someone who was a part of one of those groups who said that, after three days of the Lord not returning, he laid on the ground for two more days just being miserable and in pain because he had left everything and abandoned everything because he knew this was the time when the Lord was going to return and, well, he didn't. And so when you have this constant ongoing projection of individuals who are predicting a time and a day when the Lord Jesus will return and it doesn't take place, it can create a kind of cynicism that grows up and builds up within you and by the way, these individuals who make these kinds of predictions have to make these predictions by willingly and arrogantly, I would say, disregarding the word of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, 32, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And you'll remember, by the way, on the day that the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples gathered around him and said to him, Lord, because they were anticipating this messianic kingdom as well. They were anticipating this program of rescue and of God's judgment and of the kingdom that would prevail. Lord, is it at this time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? The Lord Jesus said, that's never going to happen. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. 
The Lord Jesus said to him, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes up. You get to your job. You have a ministry and a job to have to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, and that's what you need to be concerning yourself with. But you see, there's a kind of willing arrogance and pride that when you try to set down dates and when you try to set down time for the Lord's return or you find any individuals who are willing to gobble up that information and join in that speculation, both the person who's receiving that information and the person who's disseminating that information demonstrates a readiness to brush aside the very words of the Lord Jesus on this topic. You're not supposed to concern yourself about those things. You're supposed to concern yourself about the ministry I've given you. You're not supposed to nail down the moment or the time or the hour in which he's coming, because nobody knows the day or the hour in which he comes except for the Father. So when these false alarms come, and they come over and over again, it's easy to begin to ignore any kind of anticipation. It's easy that the reaction that comes to it is just the opposite. Well, listen, this means he's not coming. This means it's not happening now, because this has been sounded over and over and over again, and it's easy to join the argument of the scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming Because all things have just continued on as they have from the beginning. And though the ones who are sounding this false alarm for a specific hour are mistaken, they're wrong, so are those who brush aside the anticipation of Christ's coming. As a result of that, that's wrong as well. What Peter does is Peter's more concerned by those who brush aside that concern and brush aside that interest. And Peter points out that if you, if you buy into this kind of skeptical argument, if you buy into any notion that Christ's coming is not a thing to be anticipated or a thing to be concerned about or a thing that should inform the way that you live, you're making a bad bet in a sense. And you're making a bad bet for three reasons. One, you have to recognize that those who have that attitude and are saying, we don't need to worry about these things, are bad historians. They're bad historians, he says. They forget that since the flood came, that the history of the world is full of moments and times in which God has broke in upon his creation and judgment. They forget that there have been many day of the Lord events in which God has brought his judgment upon the earth. And they fail to recognize that each of these judgments should remind them and us that God is one day going to hold all the world into account. And so, to paraphrase verses 5 and 7 of our passage, they forget that by God's word, he made the world... And by that word, sent a flood upon the world. And with that world, he will one day send fire upon the world. They forget these things. They're bad historians. The days of God's past judgment, the past moments of these past days of the Lord, only prove that the great day of the Lord is up ahead and it's coming. Peter also says they're not only bad historians, they're also bad theologians. Verses 8 and 9, he writes, But behold, Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as one day. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter is saying that they fail to grasp or fail to understand the eternal perspective that God has on all these events, and whose eyes views the world not from the perspective of the passage of time. His point of reference is not on the passage of time. His point of reference is upon people and his desire for the individual and the person. He's not saying, you know, I think it's been long enough. It's 
time for me to get active and busy here and do something. God's eye is not on the passage of time. A day for the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And in a sense, it's all relevant to him. The thing that's not relevant to him is people, the person. He's concerned for them. His interest is in them. His intense interest in them. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. But for the individual, he's numbered the very hair on their heads. And he cares for them. And he's interested in them to the minutest degree. And the great longing that God has for individuals is that they might turn to him in repentance. And the final day of repentance is coming. It comes a day God delays for his great work of repentance to be put out and to be realized in the hearts of those that he calls to himself. The final day of repentance is coming and with it also will come at that point in time, and that point in time alone, the final day of judgment. And our duty is to press people towards that repentance. We don't know the hour of his return, but we do know what the hour is right now and what our responsibility is in it. Actually, Paul says this in Acts chapter 17. Paul is speaking to the people on Mars Hill, the leaders of the Greek world or of Athens on Mars Hill. And he's communicating to them the truth of the gospel. And he comes in summation to all that he's proclaimed about God's call upon people, the fact that God has set them in nations and set boundaries for them to seek for God and that God can be known and that God is calling men to himself. And and then he comes to the conclusion saying this in verses 30 and 31 of Acts 17. Now God commands all men everywhere to repent. What is the hour? The hour is the hour of repentance. Now calls, God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. There's a day coming of judgment. There's a day coming of wrath. And what it means is now is the day of repentance. That's what God is looking for and that's what God is calling for and that is what God is desiring. God is waiting not to judge But God is waiting now to receive the repentance. Those who will not repent to the Lord Jesus and turn to the Lord Jesus, the Bible says they stand condemned already. And the one thing God is waiting from them for is that they would turn to Him and believe in Him and turn their lives over to Him. So, they're bad historians. They don't recognize that every moment at which God has broke through with judgment on the earth and on different nations is just reflection that ultimately God is going to hold all the nations into account. They're bad theologians. They don't understand that God's delays are not because God can't handle time and God has just forgot what the situation is, but it's because God is more interested in people than he is in the passage of time. And he longs for them to turn and repent and come to him. And because they're bad, in a sense, historians, and because they're bad theologians, they're also bad prophets. They're bad prognosticators. They're making the wrong guess. They're making the wrong conclusion. And by the way, bad historians and bad theologians never make good prognosticators. You want to begin to understand what the trends are of the nation or where we're going, understand history and understand God and how God moves in history. And you'll have a better understanding of what's taking place. Let's look at another thing here. Let's look at another reason for why we can't or we don't anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That first point was simply that we get dulled because of our skepticism and because of all the false alarms and As a result, we flip ourselves in a situation where we begin to listen to the message of bad historians and bad theologians and bad prophets, and we shouldn't let that happen. Here's another reason why we oftentimes are not anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus, and it's that we cannot sustain the suspense of waiting for the Lord's return. 
we're not meant to live in an excited state over a long period of time. And so it's hard for us to get ourselves in this sense of thrill and excitement that Jesus could come at any time and, and keep it going. And I only would say to you that God doesn't ask that we do that. God doesn't expect of us that we should live, you might say, in some state of frenetic and excited searching of the skies for his return. That's what the disciples were doing when he ascended into heaven. And the angels came along and said, Men and brethren, why do you stare into the skies? The same one who's left it will come again in like manner. And the issue is, go about your business. Get to the work he's called for you to do. The fact is, is that we are not looking for something that might happen. We are anticipating something that will happen. Because we know it will happen, we can go about our work. We can go about the things God has called us to in faithfulness until the day of his return. Our call to be watching and to be on guard is not to be on guard for Christ's coming. It's to be on guard for us carrying out the duties and the commands that he's placed upon us until he comes. Our watching is not for him cracking the skies. Our watching is for us to be faithful in the duties he's given us until he comes to crack the skies. Our anticipation is to be manifested in our commitment to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to seek to live holy and godly lives in light of his return and as we wait for him. So look at verse 11 here. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Now that's a question that's meant to be answered. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.